Is Hunter Biden a racist? <laughs> Hunter Biden is hilarious, bro. <laughs> Dude, I, I got so much respect for Hunter Biden now because he just he gives no fucks. And if my dad was Joe Biden and Joe Biden got away with Joe Biden's gotten away with, I wouldn't give a single fuck either. Yeah. So like this is a, this is a question I have for you about the N word. Obviously, I never say it because I it, it's like totally taboo and inappropriate for me to say it. Yeah. But like, does a white dude saying it automatically mean that he's racist? Um, nah, nah. I believe no. Uh, I think everything needs context, you know. Um, like I don't think are, Hunter Biden those texts. Like it was really stupid for him to text that, especially yeah, knowing who his dad he, is. Like he totally was stupid. probably high on crack. Yeah, but like he obviously wasn't like he he wasn't like making it. He wasn't expressing that he thought black people were inferior. He was just like using yeah. a word that white people, out of respect, just don't use. Yeah, I think I think context definitely is important. Yeah. So you don't you don't think he's necessarily a racist. Just, just, uh, just a fucking crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Based off of what I read, like this shit made me laugh. Like racism is usually not funny to me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, nah, I don't. I don't think he's he's uh, he's racist. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. I thought you just graduated. What are you studying for? Bro, that's that's what the fuck I said. But um, I'm studying for the bar and I'm taking like a bar prep course. So it's pretty intensive. Yeah, I bet. I uh, never went to law school, but I did take the LSAT because I was thinking about it. So I know a little bit about what it's like to study, but I know obviously the bar is a lot more intense nice. than the than the LSAT because all you're doing on the LSAT is... Great choice not to go to law school. That shit's stupid. <laughs> do, you, do you for real regret it? Uh, um, nah, I don't because I feel like I'm a like a different person and yeah. I feel like I, I learned so much. But it's just, I'm in a lot of debt, you know? And I feel like I could have started my career and I could have started working like three years ago when I graduated undergrad, but it's okay. Oh, your, debt, your debt might go away. Yeah, yeah, true that, true that. Hopefully uh, Biden and the progressives will do something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's funny because I grew up uh, in Illinois. And so obviously Abraham Lincoln's a big deal in Illinois, land of Lincoln uh-huh. and all that. And so um, for like field trips and stuff growing up, we'd go to Springfield, which is, um, of course, the capital. And uh, we would tour the Lincoln Museum. And yeah. I didn't know it, but you didn't have to have a license to practice law back then. So like he never went to law school or anything. He just declared himself a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, he's gangster <laughs> like that. I wonder why they did that. Do you think it was just to snuff out the competition of cheap lawyers that were taking away their business? And so they're like, you know what, let's make this official so that, you know, there's not a lot. Um, of people. I, I want to say that's the way it always was. I think like... Um, bar and accreditation and like even law school was a later development Mm -hmm. so what'd you do for your undergrad i did political science i went to uh, cal state northridge so you've always been into um uh politics in some sense huh yeah pretty much have you always been conservative minded uh nah i was um i'm black so i was born a liberal (laughs) you know (laughs) Um, uh, for real though is your is your whole family kind of democrat just kind of going back yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I'm the first conservative in my family, I guess. Do they hate but, you now? Um, 
nah, they got love for me because my family's cool. not my family's not crazy. They're not like yeah. They're I guess they they lean left, but none of them are super like hyper political. So it's just like your average political leanings. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like just I feel like leftism is kind of like the default for people who are like kind of into politics. You know, mm-hmm. well, it's it's more appealing emotionally to be a Democrat because yes. on the surface it looks like, hey, we're going to help poor people. We're not going to let rich people take advantage. Right. It, it makes sense emotionally, paper, you know. <laughs> yeah, but then when you look into it, and I um I did take the time to listen to your album from last year, which I really enjoyed. I don't I don't I don't listen to rap, but man, I thought it was awesome. I'm going to send it to Hi, some of my dude. Texas buddies here. They're going to love this shit. Thank you, bro. I'm, what yeah. part of Texas are you in? I'm going to be performing in Texas next weekend, I think. I'm in Austin. Oh, uh, how is that close at all to Midland? Probably not, huh? Midland's You know, to fun. be honest with you, I'm embarrassed to say my wife and I moved here in August. So I basically know where Dallas is and Austin is, and that's it. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Midland, though, I'll have to take a look. Um, I'm going to be up in Paris, Texas next weekend, uh, meeting some friends. Um, nice. but I might have to make it. you're, you're, you're performing on father's day weekend, huh? I think yes, father's it, this um, yeah, I don't even think he like intended that. And it's also, it's on Juneteenth too, which is kind of funny. Yeah. So, um, so what made you switch to conservative? You started studying political science and you actually like read wealth of nations or something when you were in school. <laughs> um, no. So, um, I did, you know how they make you do like your general education at first. Yeah. I took an introductory logic course and that kind of was the switch. I feel like um, it was just like my first introduction into critical thinking. Like um, I'm not saying I didn't think before, but it just, you know, like logical. Was this reasons. the textbook? Um, Harley. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's that shit, bro. That oh class my changed God. my life too, bro. I fucking, I the fallacies, that. the fallacies, yes. bro. <laughs> yes, bro. That's that's it right there. I honestly didn't even do too good in that class. I'm pretty sure I got a C, but um, but like, I feel like it just opened up another way of thinking and looking at the world. And um, I took that my second semester in college, so it was like spring of my first year. And the semester before that, I took um, I took an English course in Africana studies, and that was pretty much like critical race theory and shit you know white people are bad the oppressor america's capitalist patriarchy uh white supremacy and everything that the left is kind of running with today so after that class i was like low-key indoctrinated you know i kind of felt like yeah down with the system blah 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 all this and then i took took the logic course the next semester and i was like wait a minute that's pretty radical let me uh kind of step outside of my feelings and look at things objectively. And that's when I kind of decided to check out what people on the right were talking about. This was also, um, it was also 2015. I had just turned 18. So 2016 was going to be my first election. So I said, you know what, let me do my due diligence. Let me see what the Republicans are talking about. I was rocking with like Ben Carson at first. And then um, I got word that Donald Trump was running. And I feel like once I saw Donald Trump come down those escalators, that was it for me. (laughs) <laughs> that's wild man well i noticed that like um uh i'm not sure if you can hear me I cut out just for a second can you hear me still yeah i can hear you i was gonna say i noticed that um uh you've got the creature in jekyll island in your in your album too so you've gotten into some of the austrian economic stuff like ron paul style yes. man yeah and that's that's um i've always been interested in that stuff like even when i was a lefty um that first year of college i had to take a um I take like a communications class and they made me do a speech and I did a speech on um, the creature from Jekyll Island and the formation of the federal reserve. And that's, I just think that stemmed from me kind of always being like a conspiracy theorist and just questioning authority, you know, and looking into like who owns these institutions that pretty much run our life. 
Yeah. So I was, um, I've been thinking about this stuff a lot. Um, and I'd be really interested to hear your feedback, uh, as a black man, because, um, for a long time I've struggled with like what happened to the black community in the sixties and seventies that like moved the whole culture from being like, you know, Christian conservative nuclear family, you know, like, like if you look at Martin Luther King protests, like everybody's wearing their Sunday best, you know right. what I mean? <laughs> and like the whole culture, changed. Look at like, why, right. Right. Like, like when you see a man in a suit getting hosed down by a fireman, you're like, the guy getting hosed down is right. You know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> but nowadays it's like all Molotovs and stuff. It's mostly young white kids though. But yeah. um, the point I wanted to make was like, it occurred to me, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is my running theory that it's possible that the minority communities in America were getting by, but just barely. And then after we went off the gold standard in the seventies, that sort of put them over the threshold. So mm. like dad had to get two or three jobs. Yeah. So he wasn't like at home with the kid as much mom right. had to get a job too. And like, maybe that sort of like led to this culture um, um, that's stereotypically associated with crime. Although of course it's not true for the whole race by any means. I'm not trying to be that guy, but yeah. I wonder if inflation and government programs, which cause the inflation are actually the problem that the minorities face. So like, like they're perpetuating the problem by constantly spending. And then, and and like, you see the wealth gap increase and um, whenever inflation happens, the wealth gap increases because uh, the rich people have money in the market. So the prices, the values of all their assets go up and people that are too poor to put money in the market, they just lose buying power. And so it would make sense that inflation would make minorities poorer and white dudes richer, right? Yeah, damn, I hadn't even thought about it from like the economic angle. Usually when I think of it, I always just kind of uh, attribute it to like, um, I guess like what you said, like government spending programs or like uh, welfare programs encouraging these type of uh, like behaviors and stuff. But um, the economic point you made is really good. Well, and the thing to think about too is like if the government programs themselves encourage the behavior, then you'd see it across all races, right? Because then like, any dude could, any dude could take, take advantage of those. But I think that what happened was um, the spending put all those that were right on the threshold, because there was some serious racism in the sixties and seventies. Right. And so like they were getting by, but like they weren't being able to go in the same restaurants, do business with the same people. There was real racism, explicit racism then. And so they were getting by like within their own communities economically, but that inflation put them over the threshold where it just wasn't cutting it when prices went up, man. Great point. So I don't know for sure, but I'm sure some economists could just slaughter me on that. But <laughs> so what are your thoughts on this um, whole critical race theory thing going on now? Do you think that it's um, do you think it's going to last or do you think that we're going to beat it? Um, dude, I don't know. I was just I tweeted earlier, like I want people to stop talking about it because it's just so annoying to me. And a bunch of people were replying to me saying, oh, you think it's annoying because you don't have kids, blah, blah, blah. But I just got out of the school system. You know, I was subjected <laughs> to that. Um the way I feel, um, like it's it's obviously like bad. I don't think people should be taught to um, hate America, hate people for the color of their skin. But it's like speech, you know. And I feel like waging an attack on speech is never really good. I think we should be focused on promoting our alternatives, you know, and coming up with our way to educate our own children, not just saying like okay, what the Dems do is bad. And we're going to just focus on what the Dems do all day instead of saying, you know, like, okay, we're going to try to come up with our uh, competing theory. But I I do think it's weird that like 
education and academia has evolved into like some sort of political debate where we're arguing over the way that people get uh people teach our kids and you it's so like it's so i guess one-sided in the fact that like okay if you're a dem you're probably going to be for it or if you're a republican you're against it and i feel like just the fact that people are focusing on it so much is just another way to kind of divide us yeah, I think so too. And I kind of think of it like uh, in the same way that I think of the Me Too movement. Um, I think that the Me Too movement was awesome for a lot of women, particularly like Harvey Weinstein victims. But in my opinion, you could totally disagree. Um, but in my opinion, the Me Too thing got way carried away to the point where like now when there's a sexual assault allegation made up against any politician, including Cuomo, whom I'm not, who I'm not a fan Guilty. of. I just, well, I just don't believe it though, because they, they, <laughs> they threw it too much. And now right. I'm like, now I'm like, I don't believe and I'm worried about the same thing with racism. Cause like, I think that like, there probably are some racist issues and racist systems that need to be fixed. But if everything is always racism, then it's hard for me to like, identify any instance of racism other than the obvious explicit stuff you know what i mean it's like yeah if we, if we just throw the word around like you can't throw the word nazi around people are calling ben shapiro a nazi the dude's orthodox Bro, jew somebody <laughs> called me a nazi i'm black like, <laughs> like nah, um yeah you're right though like if we call everything racist then um all of a sudden nothing is racist you know because it's just like oh okay whatever racism doesn't really mean anything so let me ask you do you think that white supremacy is the greatest threat to, nas- threat to national security in the United States. Oh my God. No, I think um, the lack of financial security is for one. I don't know. I feel like people have turned white supremacy into this big boogeyman, but me and my day-to-day experiences, I have yet to come across a single white supremacist. Mm-hmm. And you would think I do because I'm so associated with the right and all of the white supremacists are on the right. You know, they're at the Trump rallies. They're at the, uh, they're at the, the events and i'm at all the events and nobody's kicked me out because of my race nobody's treated me poor because i'm black they've welcomed me with open arms because i believe in the same values as them and it's that simple yeah i i lived in the south for a little little while and i ran into maybe one or two guys that made it clear that they were actual white supremacists (laughs) in all the seven years i lived in tennessee and uh they were way older dudes very deep rooted but actual explicit you know like american history x white supremacists like people <laughs> yeah. call people call me like a, a white supremacist sometimes on on twitter and i'm like bro if i was a white supremacist i would have got the email to charlottesville like they were all there all of them were there right, you know what i mean like there's there's a handful and they all showed up like i never got the email bro <laughs> you should have showed up man dave Chappelle style <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever watch that episode of the Chappelle show when he's in the KKK? Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. With Clayton Bigsby, that shit's a classic. So how'd you get on rap? Um, I've been rapping for a long time, a long time, really. I first started playing around with it probably around 2009, maybe 2010. I think my first ever rap was a freestyle over Drake's ransom beat. And I had were you like you were like that. nine years old or something like that. Uh, I was 11. I was 11 in 2000 and I was, I was like 12 in 2009. So I was probably like 12 or 13, maybe, um, had a YouTube channel and I just did like comedic sketches. And then one day my camera broke. 
So I needed to give content to my subscribers. So I was like, all right, whatever. I'm going to just rap until I fix my camera. So I took my Guitar Hero microphone and I just plugged it into my computer, uh, up, found the beat, and then I just spit like some silly ass freestyles. It was, it was really garbage. It's still on the internet one day. I'll probably tweet it out maybe. But, oh man, um, so I can find it on YouTube if I type in your name? <laughs> well, no, you couldn't because it's uh, it's unlisted. You need the link to access. Bro, you got to share that, please. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the link after. But um, <laughs> All right. Yeah, so I needed content. I said, whatever, I'll just freestyle rap. I did a couple of those and then um, I fixed my camera and I started making videos again. Yeah. And I kind of forgot about rap until um, that was, I was probably like eighth grade. So maybe like sophomore year of high school is when I started getting into it again. I started making music with my friends, just joking, having some fun. I had this song called Spring Break and that was kind of like popular in my area. So uh, when I saw that people like kind of liked it, I was like, you know what, maybe I should keep doing this. So I um I put out a couple of mixtapes in high school and then I started taking it like seriously uh, when I was in college. My um my sophomore year of college, 2016, on July 4th, in fact, 2016, I dropped my first like studio album. It was called Meditations. It was uh it was pretty it was pretty like it was pretty deep. I named it Meditations after uh, Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. Aurelius. Um so I was uh, I was just talking about I guess like things that I enjoyed. I had a had a song about 9/11 on there that's a slapper. Um just yes, a, a conspiracy. Song, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a song about um like uh, manufactured terrorism, so I was pretty deep. Um but I recorded that like in an actual studio, so it was fun kind of going to a studio. And then um since that time I just was like kind of releasing singles and then 2019 I want to say is when I decided to take it even more serious. And so I used to rap under the name J-Hots, but I was like, nah, I just, my name on Twitter actually, even though I was like J-Hots professionally, my name on Twitter had been Patriot J since um, like the midterms in 2018, because I was working on a campaign and I just felt that it was like a cool name. Um, so like December, 2019, I said, you know what, maybe I should just take the Patriot J name and run with that for rap. So I uh, wrote a song called Meet Patriot J. And yeah, that, like that's on my track, album. Track four or five or something like that. <laughs> yes. Uh, track, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's the fourth track. Um, and that was the first song that I wrote for the album. It was kind of like an introduction to me kind of being Patriot J now. Um, and then, yeah, I wrote the rest of the album over the course of the next year. So from like December 2019 till about like august uh 2020 was when i finished writing everything recorded it and dropped it in uh dropped it in october and it's been doing pretty well that was the hell of a time to drop it man i bet you it was a hit <laughs> yeah dude and it was it was crazy because i was um like i said i was writing the songs in december <clears throat> but i just so happened to blow up on twitter like um like around like may you know so it was it was pretty cool that I got the chance to drop music for an actual audience, you know, and I'm just glad that everybody's been receiving it well. So I um my undergrad was in audio engineering. I thought I wanted to be a producer. Nice. And um I was listening to your record, man. It sounds really good. Who'd you work with on it? Um, I got a buddy. He uh he lives down the street from me. Um, his name is Jonte. We just record in his bedroom, believe it or not. Yeah, but yeah. He's, um he's got like um he's got like at least a decade of experience with Pro Tools under his belt. Yeah. And now is he cool with you rapping about conservative stuff? Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> I, I, pay, I pay the man money to record. I, I could literally say anything. He would he wouldn't look at me silly. <laughs> man, you ought to get your own Pro Tools rig and mess around with it. Dude, um, I have I have uh what do you call it? Mm, Ableton. I have Ableton. 
um but i just being um being like law school and shit i've never really had the time to kind of learn how to do it right so i was like whatever i'll just outsource the mixing to jante so um what kind of law do you want to practice I would love to do like constitutional law. If I could make a living arguing about the constitution all day, that would, that would be it for me, but it's not really practical, like constitutional law. And a lot of the stuff is kind of pro bono. Cause you're helping out like people who don't really have like the strength of a big corporation behind them mm-hmm. in, in some cases. So I feel like right now I'm either thinking about doing like criminal law, maybe some criminal defense work or um, maybe like uh, contracts work because I really enjoy my contracts class. You ever think about getting into politics as a candidate? Um, yeah, I probably will one day. That was like, it's like my goal. I don't know when, I don't know which office, but I probably will do it one day. Well, well what about uh, teaching too? You can always teach constitutional law. Yes, yes. And I do, I do think about teaching all the time. So in law school, obviously there's all sorts of different um avenues for a lot of contract law there's defense there's prosecution how much time do you actually spend learning about the constitution do you just take like one semester worth of constitutional law or how does that play out um my school required me to take two semesters one semester about the constitutional structure so just um i guess like um like separation of powers and stuff issues like Mm -hmm. that dealing with like how the government is formed. And then the second class was like an upper level uh, constitutional class called individual rights. <clears throat> and that was focused on like more of the substantive rights, like uh, equal protection, due process, um, first amendment issues, like freedom of speech, religion, um, assembly and all that stuff. And then I took, um, I took a media in the law class too, which was pretty much all about the first amendment. And uh, that was really fun. So was that like about censorship on Twitter and stuff like that? I mean, how internet companies can um, we, have anything to do with that? We touched on that, yeah, but it was um, it was largely about like reporters' rights and uh, when the government can and can't really tell somebody what to publish. Okay. Or um, defamation was a big topic too, like what you can say about people. Oh, that's interesting. So, what do you think from a constitutional standpoint about um, what's going on with these platforms deplatforming so many people? I think it's uh, evil, really. I feel like it's it's done with malicious intent. Um, so they're they're able to kind of get away with everything. Are you familiar with uh, Section two hundred and thirty of the Communications Decency Act? I am uh, familiar with it, but not intimately familiar with it. I think I've read the significant portions of it um, in embedded in other articles a couple times a long time ago. But I understand that that okay, they're not well, they're not liable for the behavior on their platform. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I think the law says like no internet service, internet service provider shall be treated as a publisher and um, they can pretty much take actions to um, remove content that they deem objectionable. Mm -hmm. So that's why, um, that's why you can't really sue Twitter for like blocking your account. But um, Justice Thomas recently argued, I forget the opinion, but um, he made an argument that we should treat uh, Twitter and Facebook and all these social media platforms sort of like uh, public utilities, how we do like phone companies, you know, because Mm -hmm. AT&T can't really ban your access to to your phone if they hear you say something you don't like. And I think that's a really good uh, way to look at it, because if you if you think about it, like social media is so embedded in everybody's lives right now, like you can't turn on you can turn on the TV and the social media handles will be like right underneath the news anchors names, you know, and these, mm-hmm. 
these are it's just so prevalent in our society like i think a judge or something ruled that like president trump couldn't even block people so if the president can't block you because that's like uh that's like preventing access to the president how is twitter able to block the president it just doesn't make any sense yeah that's really interesting i've um, struggled with this too because yeah, I'm a big Ayn Rand fan and I'm very pro-capitalism. So I, I, my default position is always, Hey, if it's a private company, you know, right. and people throw that around a lot. And there was a lot of backlash, like, Hey, make your own Twitter. <laughs> you know? but, yeah. And then Gab does, and they get banned from everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like the way that I've kind of been thinking about it now is these companies that we call private companies are a publicly traded and B they are constantly under threat of being broken up because of antitrust laws, uh, new regulations, new taxes. I mean, you've got like, when you've got Elizabeth Warren texting your company, like, Hey, at Google, you're way too big. Like it's going to change leadership behavior. And that's going to change the way that the board of those companies votes. So like you've got this situation where politicians are constantly and explicitly or specifically threatening these companies, right. To try to leverage them. And, um, uh, there's so much funding in public private work that goes on in terms of like research and data and security stuff that goes on with like Google and the federal government or Google and the department of defense. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how can you really say for sure? How can you really say that these are private companies when they work so closely with the government and the government is exactly. constantly like kind of bossing them around? Yeah. That's so, a great point. So I'm, I, I don't know the way I kind of see it. I think that, that that's why the first amendment should apply because in my mind, they're not even really private companies at this point. They've gotten too big, but right. I don't know. You're the lawyer. <laughs> hey, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so when's your bar? Uh, July 27th and 28th. Did you ever see, um, catch me if you can. Yes. Great so movie. I actually emailed that dude one time. He emailed me back. This is a couple of <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. He gave a speech at Google. Uh-huh. Uh, his name's Frank Abagnale Jr. And he gave a speech at Google and um, I emailed him. And I was like, hey man, your speech was awesome. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> but I thought that was like the coolest thing four years ago. Um, but that dude, I don't know if it's true or not in real life, but remember in the movie how he's like, um, Tom Hanks is always trying to get him to admit how he cheated on the bar. Yeah. It turns out that he just studied for two weeks. All <laughs> <laughs> right. How intense is the studying for that? What do you have to go over? Um, it's California dude, specific, okay. right? So it's, it's ridiculous. So there, um, there's the, there's the UBE, which is the uniform bar exam. I think like 27 states might follow that. So where if you take it, um, if you take it in one state, it's reciprocal, you can enter to practice in the other states, but of course, California is special. So California has their own exam. So um, it's split up into two days, one day for essays, one day for multiple choice. The multiple choice only tests on the subjects that are on the UBE. There are seven subjects, um, criminal procedure and criminal law, civil procedure, torts, contracts, property, um, constitutional law, and um, I don't know. I don't know the last one. But um, so you have your like seven uh, MBE subjects. And then in addition to those, 
they can be tested on the essay, but the essays also test California specific stuff. So California includes the uh, the UBE subjects, and then you have to learn wills and trusts, um, California civil procedure, because it's different from federal civil procedure. And then you have to know the California rules of evidence, because those are different from uh, the federal rules of evidence. You have to know the California rules of professional conduct, which is pretty much like your ethical obligations as a lawyer. And the California rules slightly differ from the model rules that the ABA uh, puts out. So it's um, it's those topics plus the uh, like the standard MBE subjects. And these are all the MBE subjects are all required for you to take. They're required for you to take uh, in your first year. And then you're uh, well, they give you like so my first year I took contracts, torts, con law, uh, property. I had a writing class and um, and something else. But it's all of the subjects. I'm just pretty much reviewing all of the subjects I learned my first year and my second year because that was like, I don't know, a long time ago. And then there's still there's additional stuff that they don't really teach you in law school that the bar might test you on. So in my property class, we didn't learn about anything having to deal with mortgages, but I guess the bar tests mortgages. So they um, they implement that into the course. So the course I'm taking, it's pretty much you watch lectures for every single subject. You take practice tests. You take practice multiple choice for the multiple choice ones. And then... And then at a certain point, it's supposed to just click and then I'll have learned the law again and everything will be in my head. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, man. So having gone through all this and and studying, um, obviously studying about what the law is, is 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 a little different than studying um, about how it's practically enforced, regardless of whether how it should be. But what are your thoughts on like our whole criminal justice system and uh, and what's going on? Because it seems like there's people that are going to prison for like decades that should maybe only go for six months. And there's all sorts of people that get away with shit. Like how does this work in terms of choosing which cases to prosecute and then determining what evidence is used and, and uh, to to get a conviction? Cause it seems like the, the uh, standard for conviction has gotten lower in the United States. Yeah. um, So I I don't know too much about, I guess the criminal process. I worked for the district attorney when I went into law school, I kind of wanted to become a prosecutor and mm-hmm. then working for the district attorney made me a little bit disillusioned because when I was in there, I just felt it's like, in LA. Way, yeah. So I felt like the way they talked about some of these people was just like, I don't know, it rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and then it just seems too much of like an assembly line. So, you know, the, uh, the, the like junior attorneys at the district attorney's office will just get their case. They'll work on their case right after that. They'll get another case. And it's, I feel like it's too conviction based, you know, they're always, worried about, okay, well, I got to, I got to bring this case forward because I got to get my conviction rates up. You know, I got to get my numbers. I feel like they almost have to meet their quotas in the same way that like police officers do when getting tickets. And that's never a good way to enforce justice. You don't want to have to meet these arbitrary numbers. You want to actually do good by the client. You want to actually do good by the people you want to put in. You want to uh, bring a case if you think you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, not just because you feel pressure from the higher ups to meet your certain numbers. So it's um, to me, it's a little bit like impersonal. And um, I just think people the people at the top kind of become like power struck also because they're in there for years, you know, they feel like they can do whatever they want. And that's, that's never really good. We need like some sort of oversight or more accountability. 
Do they have actual quotas for convictions? Uh, I don't think they do have quotas, but I do know that people trip a lot about their conviction rates. So they, so would you say that every prosecutor prosecutor knows exactly what percentage of cases they, uh, they win? Um, yeah, most likely. Oh my God, that is crazy. And what happens if you're a prosecutor and let's just say you get 10 cases that you're prosecuting and the defendant actually is innocent. Okay. And let's say that they're all acquitted. Are you just fired? Um, I'm not sure. I don't know what happened. Cause it doesn't seem to me like you should be at fault if you're a prosecutor and you, and you prosecute an innocent person's case and they win. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But like you watch, I mean, like I love, I love law movies, lawyer movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that it's obviously a dramatization of what's mostly sort of like a paperwork job. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, it's, that's one thing that's captured in the movies too, is just how competitive the prosecutors are. And it seems to me that that's, that's very, uh, very much a conflict of interest with actual justice. Yeah. I mean, obviously you want like in an ideal world, you have a prosecutor who believes that the person is guilty and you have a, a, a defense attorney who believes that the person is innocent and they hash it out. But it seems now you have a prosecutor who doesn't care if the defendant is innocent and a defense attorney that may or may not actually believe their client's innocent. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, especially the public defenders, they're like, they're overworked. So, you know, they're, I I don't, I would like to imagine they put in their full effort, but I can't really say that they really would on each case just because of like the, um, the time constraints and the amount of cases that they see on a monthly basis. Well, I had a buddy who was a cop and I kind of resonated with this, with what you said about how you were kind of off put by maybe some of the remarks that you heard at the district attorney's office, just like, if you're, if 90% of the people that you deal with as a police officer or um, a defense attorney, or even a prosecutor, if 90% of them are like the scum of the earth, then it's really easy to just assume they all are, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like if you're, if you're a public defender and you're like, all right, this guy's got no money and he obviously raped this person, you know what I mean? It's (laughs) like, but then like the night, then like after a thousand times you get one that's like, just happens to be poor and like, didn't actually rape the person, you know? And, but you just like, you're, you're so biased from your, your history that you just assume the person's guilty walking in. Like, that's one of the things that scares me about public defenders is that the type of people who have to rely on the public defend defender system are probably the type of people who are more likely to commit crimes or less likely to be innocent. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, uh, that, that must create some sort of a bias inherently in the defense attorneys. Like, I almost feel like you should have to do a year on a year off as a public defender, uh, so that you can have like a break for it from it. (laughs) Right. But I don't know. So studying for the bar, you got the undergrad and undergrad in political science. Um, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? Dude, I don't know. First of all, first of all, is Hunter Biden a racist? (laughs) Biden is hilarious, bro. <laughs> Dude, I, I got so much respect for Hunter Biden now because he just he gives no fucks. And if my dad was Joe Biden and Joe Biden got away with Joe Biden's gotten away with, I wouldn't give a single fuck either. Yeah. So like this is a, this is a question I have for you about the N word. Obviously, I never say it because I it's like totally taboo and inappropriate for me to say it. Yeah. But like, does a white dude saying it automatically mean that he's racist? Um, nah, nah. I believe no. Uh, I think everything needs context, you know. Um, like I don't think are, Hunter Biden those texts. Like it was really stupid for him to text that, especially yeah, knowing who his dad is. Like he totally was stupid. probably high on crack. Yeah, but like he obviously wasn't like he he wasn't like making it. 
he wasn't expressing that he thought black people were inferior. He was just like using yeah. a word that white people out of respect just don't use. Yeah, I think I think context definitely is important. Yeah. So you don't you don't think he's necessarily a racist? Just just uh just a fucking crackhead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Based off of what I read, like this shit made me laugh. Like racism is usually not funny to me. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, nah, I don't. I don't think he's he's uh, he's racist. But it is funny to kind of watch people on the right say, "Look, Hunter Biden said this. He's racist." Because I feel like they're just using the left's tactics. Yeah, it's an overcompensation, like right. And, and one thing that's yes. really bothered me is I'm so I'm so against cancel culture. And now we have instances where um, left leaning people are getting canceled, right? And and you see tweets like, "Hell yeah, get her off the platform!" Right? And like like for example, when Fauci took his book off of Amazon and lost his publishing deal, I was like, yeah. I was like, listen, I'm no fan of Fauci, but like we can't just not let people write books. You know, and I got right. I got hate from the right, like blocked, mute, like all this stuff. I'm like, I'm like, bro, it's like we can't just cancel everybody, man. It's like that Gandhi quote, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. It's like the only person left on Twitter at the end of this is going to be Joe Biden. <laughs> and Joe he doesn't Biden even do his own tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just Joe Biden and Kamala tweeting at each other. What are you doing? <laughs> just you sitting. up? Sending <laughs> <laughs> each other photos of them walking through the hallways. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so like, we'll get back to where I was. What do you think is going to happen in 2024? You think red reds are going to sweep? Um, bro, I don't know because I thought reds were going to sweep in 2020. Like I genuinely believed it was going to be like a landslide victory. And I still do think it was, which is the messed up part. You think there was legit cheating or do you think it was just because of all the mail-ins and the harvesting? Um, yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, I agree with you that it's very cheap. But if the law like allows it, is it was it really cheating or is it just shitty law? You know, but like I, like, I, you can, well, like I know. Um, I think like in Pennsylvania, the legislature like I think the court did it without the legislature's approval or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they use the emergency um, uh, the emergency power of the governor or whatever to change some of the election rules because of COVID. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I think we have to kind of get election security first. We need some sort of some sort of way to make sure something like that doesn't happen again to prevent all these all these fraudulent ballots you know i think we might need voter id or just return to like paper voting i don't know why we vote on a computer system that that makes no sense if it's electronic it can be hacked so why is it that democrats think that all black people are are without an id because they're like, <laughs> they're racist and they don't think highly of black people <laughs> like like dead ass everything they accuse the the right of being is what they are you know um i think it's ridiculous to assert that because a politician is saying hey you need an id to vote that somehow singles out black people because every black person i know has an id i haven't run into a single black person who doesn't have an id the only black person i know without an id is my little cousin and that's because he's seven years old we're gonna have to give him an id <laughs> yeah <laughs> so why do you think it is that um um minorities and specifically black people why do you think it is that the democrats have sort of gotten a monopoly over that whole entire constituency um there's really like no other option you know i feel like uh republicans outside like prior to donald trump no republican has ever really actively tried to campaign for the black vote 
Um, do you think not, it's because they don't give a shit or do you think it's because they thought it was hopeless? Um, probably a little bit of both more hopeless, but I think some of them just don't really give a shit. They mm-hmm. feel like maybe, um, well, they're always going to vote for Democrats. So why even try? But, mm-hmm. um, I think it's largely because black people haven't really been presented with like a, a feasible alternative to the crazy left Dems, especially in like, I guess, big urban areas like, like Chicago, that should be. Chicago's conditions, you know, terrible or whatever, that should be an opportunity for someone on the right to come in and say, like, hey, look, things are going bad. I've got this common sense approach that if you would just try and let me show you the results, you would, I promise you would end up liking. But I feel like a lot of them just don't go into these, uh, like, overwhelmingly black areas. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that, like, part of your transition was uh, taking, um, that uh, critical thinking class uh, after you'd taken a critical race theory class, was that enough to do it? Or was there more to that? Cause I'm just trying to figure out, I've been thinking about this a lot today, specifically, like what, how do you, how do minds actually change? You know, like I thought mm-hmm. about my life and like religious changes that have happened or like even political changes that have happened and what I, in terms of what I believe. And there's only been like two major changes um, in my life personally. And like, it just seems to yeah. me that, changing your mind about something so big as, 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 as what party to support is a really big life change. And totally. those don't happen very often. Like how does, how did that happen for you? And, and how, how can we make it happen for others? Um, so I think what, what's really important is um, one, just talking to people um, like being a, being a good person, engaging in a good faith conversation with somebody on the other side trying to let them know why you believe in it and presenting what you believe. Because I feel like, um, I feel like the right has common sense on lock. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like most of our policies are rooted in common sense, you know, government, leave me alone. I can take care of it on my own common sense approach. So by talking to people, you kind of, um, you just plant seeds in their mind. I feel like, um, that the, my professor who taught me logic, he, was definitely a Republican. And I didn't know it until I found him on Facebook like a couple months ago. And I had to thank him for teaching me logic and turning him to a Republican. Come to find out he has this like entire Facebook page dedicated to like destroying leftism in academia. But um, but I remember specifically, he made this like funny joke about, um, it was just like, a, like an anti-Dem joke. I think it was something like, uh, said something about like making bad decisions and you'd be like, yeah, like voting for Obama for a second time. And I just laughed because it was funny, you know, I was still like a Dem, but it was just a funny joke. Yeah. So I feel like um, in addition to talking with people, we need to engage in the culture war a little bit more. You know, maybe we need to have our comedians out there. We need to have our filmmakers out there, our musicians out there. So that's why I feel like I feel like that's why I'm big on kind of um, rapping about things that matter to me, because um, music like you can reach a lot more people with music than you can with just the conversation. You know, somebody certain people might be less willing to listen to you but they might be more willing to put on a song you know and if a song's just like kind of catchy or if it's just got them listening in the background you know maybe five years from now they might kind of remember that song and be like you know what now it makes sense yeah there's some awesome song uh, have you listened to the song take down the ccp no what <laughs> bro bro i'm gonna send this shit to you yeah, so you gotta look it up so i it was months ago man all right so little backstory my best friend in Texas lives in, in the middle of nowhere, Texas, Paris, Texas. Okay. And, uh, 
he's like 21, 22 years old. And I met him playing Red Dead Redemption 2 like four years ago. Hi, <laughs> bro. I just got on video games. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't play any video games all the way through college. But anyway, um, Same here. Uh, uh, anyway, this song comes out. It's called like Take Down the CCP. Uh-huh. And I'm one of the, I go to listen to it on Spotify. It's got like 1,200 listens, right? And I, I, I found it because of an article. Just so happenstance on Twitter or something. And I text my buddy, Josiah. I go, dude, you'll love this song. You got to hear it. And he's like, uh-huh. bro, I listen to this shit every day on the way to work. I'm like, dude, there's only 1,200 listens. How the hell did you hear this song? You're listening to listen it by two weeks. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> he's like way ahead. But man, you would love uh, Take Down the CCP. Uh, I'll, I'll send you that for sure. But um, uh, the thing that I think about when I think about Republicans versus Democrats, it, and I've got my background in advertising. So I know that people make buying decisions based on emotion. And they mm-hmm. justify later with their mind, right? So, like for me, I love. Yeah, yeah I've done that. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I, I love Ben Shapiro, right? But he's not going to change anybody's mind, right? Yeah. The reason I love Ben Shapiro is because he totally reaffirms everything I already thought, right? You know, <laughs> so like, like it's fun to watch him. Like, you know, Ben Shapiro owns le- like feminists, you know, student. Yeah. It's fun to watch that shit. But like, and and I totally agree with what you said. You're like, listen, Republicans are the common sense party. But if we don't figure out a way to to win the emotional debate rather than the yeah. logical one, we're never going to get people to swing over, man, because because the Dems, they kick our ass in, in, in terms of emotion. They are amazing at branding yes, heroes. They give zero fucks. And it's so admirable, bro. It's yeah, it's incredible. They, they don't it's care if they're right. Movie. They just throw shit out that's emotionally resonant. Exactly. I think we need to uh, kind of adopt some of those tactics. Well, and it's like the same thing with the media, dude. Like they, they don't care if the article's accurate. They just have to get the most emotional headline possible and they can retract. Like I tweeted about this today. I was like, man, like they can retract all they want and they're never going to lose like, yeah, it, it like subscribers. Matter. Yeah. Like, um, like I, it just came out today that, uh, you remember when they had the Trump photo op and he like held the Bible or something and people were upset because Trump just wanted to take credit for himself and he wanted everybody to move around him came out today that the story was a lie and that I guess the feds were already like evacuating the space or something like that for contractors. um, Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that that's like what, four or five months too late. It doesn't matter at this point because the, the left got their narrative off. And I'm sure that was somebody's, that was in somebody's mind when they were going to vote against Trump. They're like, no, I don't like that guy. He's a narcissist. They did the same thing with the Hunter Biden story, man. They totally covered that up. Yep. How is it like, I guess freedom of press, you can't prosecute that. Can you? That was just so, it's so blatantly just rude and misleading they were just gonna straight up say like yeah we're ignoring the story because we don't like it and everybody was just like oh this is cool (laughs) bro what if we got a ruling that said biased media coverage has to be um quantified on uh, as a um, donation in kind for campaign finance reporting hmm you know what I mean? Cause like, yeah. like all the, all the freebies that Joe Biden got throughout the campaign and all the stuff that got censored for him. Like, how does that not show up on the quarterly campaign finance reports as like, you know, X million right. dollars worth of press. For real. <laughs> you know, like maybe that's, maybe that's the angle. I don't know. I, th- I just think the problem is that all the journalists just happen to be Democrat and I don't think they're intentionally biased. I just think that they all agree. And when you mm-hmm. have like a ton of consensus within any sort of industry, then you start seeing behavior like that. Yeah. But I don't know. So, um, 
2024, you're hoping for a red wave, but you were hoping for one last time. Who do you think is going to run in uh, 2020? Uh, well, I guess 20. Well, I, I meant to say 2022 for the midterms, but who do you think is going to run in 2024 for president? You think DeSantis? Um, is in the I I hope I hope Trump runs. I really you want, want to run for president? Yeah, I really want to vote for Trump again. Like despite despite I guess the vaccine faults and his last kind of few weeks in office that I didn't really yeah. like. I still yeah. really like Donald Trump a lot, and I don't yeah. think there's anybody who would like. I don't think there's anybody who would energize me enough to get out and vote for. I, I see people talking about DeSantis, but I don't know much about the guy, but I mean, he's got, he's got some years to change my mind, but still, I just feel like people are just talking about him just to kind of prop him up, but I don't know what he's done. And he does, he doesn't have that like persona to me. Like I like, I'm, I like, I like a big personality, you know, I feel like it's important to have like a, Mm -hmm. like a visionary leader in office, somebody who's going to, um, Somebody who's got a vision to change things. Like, um, even when I was a kid, I liked Obama because he seemed like he wanted to change things for the better. And he was uh, charismatic. He's very persuasive. Same thing with Trump. You know, he's he's charismatic in his own way. He's really funny. He's entertaining. I feel like um, there's nobody who could really do that for me right now, which is kind of messed up to say that I would vote based on a personality. But it's it's very important to me. Are you going to vote for Caitlyn Jenner? Oh, fuck no. Why not, man? <laughs> no, bro. I am. I will not vote for Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> just because you're just sick of the whole Kardashian family bullshit, or the just because all the trans stuff. Like, why not? I mean, anything's better than Newsom. Man, I lived in California until last year. <laughs> um. Well, so I don't know. It just seems so ingenuine. Her campaign, you know. You think she's full um, of shit? Yeah, totally. Because. She, she said there was like some issue about her voting record like she lied about not voting but she actually voted and that's just if you're gonna lie about something so small i can't really trust you in office because it's a big responsibility um and she has no experience politically like what's her what's her experience she neither did won. trump though but trump's got like business experience so I yeah feel like and that- and his business did have to work a lot and lobby new york specifically <laughs> yeah. like when you needed to get tax relief on buildings and stuff it made sense exactly like i don't know caitlin jenner was just she was an olympian back in the day that was like last century and then i only know her for being married to chris kardashian i, I just i don't know it's, it's it's weird yeah yeah you know if i was still in california i would probably vote for her um just because i think it would be such an awesome troll for the first <laughs> trans woman yeah. to be yeah. a, a republican you know <laughs> Yeah. And I think she'd be even the first woman of, of a governor of uh, California, wouldn't she? I think so. Like, right. Like, so, so that would just be outstanding. <laughs> first woman governor, a man. How great is that? <laughs> Jesus, man. I'm going to have to cut that. Or they're going to fucking take the platform. Me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, man. And uh, I don't, and she's like, she's too connected to the Hollywood swamp for me. I, I wouldn't want to put a swamp candidate in office. Yeah. But man, obviously she's not a sellout. Cause if she was a sellout, she'd be a Democrat true true but i don't know so constitutional law when's your next rap rap album coming out um i haven't written a song in not so long but pretty long just because i've been busy with studying was it easier to write because like the election was in full swing and you were just like getting kind of like riled up from like news and articles and stuff about that Mm, no i um I think I, I blame Corona for writing because when, when COVID hit, I was doing a, I was doing an internship in DC and then um, I was living in like a, like 
kind of dorm style apartments with a bunch of other interns. Mm -hmm. And once COVID hit, they transferred me to a one bedroom, which was pretty cool. I was in a one bedroom by myself in Washington, D.C., but I was also extremely lonely and I didn't have anything to do but kind of find beats and raps. So I feel like just because I had a lot of time, I started writing more. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh But um, going forward, I I probably won't drop another album until maybe like spring 2022 because I really wanted I I really do want to get some more music out. But um, I'll probably just drop like singles up until up until like spring. Um, I've been doing I've been doing a lot of features lately. I was just uh, featured on Bryson Gray's latest album. Uh, Yeah, I think you shared that. Was that a music video? Didn't you share that? um, We got a lyric video, but fun fact going to shoot i'm going to tennessee this weekend to shoot a video with bryson for the song where are you going in tennessee um i think he stays in like murfreesboro let me know if you need if you need any uh um, connections there man i got a lot of friends in nashville it's only about 45 minutes away oh okay yeah i'm flying into nashville cool man yeah i could i'm happy to introduce you to some people so let me ask you this man is wanting to be a constitutional lawyer what do you think about how COVID was handled nationally last year? Like can in, in a state of emergency, is it legal for governors to keep you from going to church? Um, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, but I feel like pretty much, pretty much anything goes under an emergency. You know, a lot of, a lot of rights get suspended, um, which is understandable if it was really an emergency, not just a uh, year long phony scam to kind of prolong things and destroy the president but um yeah i, I always i always say it's not a pandemic if all your exes are alive it's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> fucking funny <laughs> yeah but um, now, honestly that was like my first thought when this hit i was like shit man like maybe one of my ex-girlfriends will die <laughs> well, that's no, fucked but, up um, i was like the terrible people <laughs> God, so um it it shouldn't be allowed because um free, fr- freedom of religion should always reign supreme. It's the First Amendment. I don't I don't care uh, yeah. I don't care what's going on outside. I need to go and worship my Creator. So what? I don't know anything about constitutional history, man. What triggered the amendments? Because they weren't they're not in the Constitution. They were added as the Bill of Rights, right? I mean, they were literally amendments to the Constitution. So like, what triggered that whole thing from to happen? Okay, am I uh, kind of vague memory? The um, the Bill of Rights was like uh it was first time yeah it was pretty much a condition um that needed to be fulfilled in order to get um get like the the anti-federalists to ratify the constitution they said hey we're not going to ratify this new constitution unless it does a little more to protect individual freedoms so um that's when they came up with the bill of rights to kind of pacify the anti-federalists because the uh, the Federalists thought that the structure of government, you know, separating power, diffusing it between branches, they thought that was enough to protect individual freedoms. But the Anti-Federalists were saying, no, we need like some some express guarantees in this contract. Yeah, well, the Anti-Federalists turned out to be right. Can you imagine yeah. if we didn't have any of the, any of the Bill of Rights? No, I just oh can't. Oh, God, oh, man. Wow, that's that's crazy. Well, the thing that scares me about what happened last year is that it seems to me that like, I understand the argument for emergency powers and suspending rights in the state of emergency, but it seems to me that in the case of a real emergency, like an invasion, for example, like you're not going to need to draft anybody, man. People are going to run, like people were crying (laughs) if they did not get accepted in the military after Pearl Harbor. 
right? And you think yep. if they weren't, if we were getting invaded, like you would have to draft people, they would show up, you know? Exactly. And it's like, like if there was a real like pandemic going around and people like, obviously I think, I think COVID's real. I just think it was super hyped. Right. And yeah, I think totally. was, like, I say like, like the virus is real, but the pandemic is a hoax. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as you know, one person who dies, you're not going to fucking leave your house. Like they didn't exactly. have to make that a law, you know? And I don't know. Yeah. It's just, and bro, I didn't, I didn't even know a single person who had it until like months into the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I knew, I knew a lot of people who got it. Um, but no one that was hospitalized. Right. They made, they, they made it so dramatized and they were like, Oh, we need our ventilators. Our hospitals are full. Uh Why do you think that this, um, why do you think that during the Spanish flu, which was obviously much more deadly, how come you think that we didn't, they didn't see the same lockdowns then? Um, I don't know. I couldn't give you like a, like a logical reason, but I can yeah. tell you it's probably because there was less centralized power and less, um, less people who kind of had an interest in locking us down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about it. And I think maybe it was just, you know, it was right after world war one. And I think that mm-hmm. everybody was just kind of tough. Like they're like, man, if I survived yes. in France, like there's no way right. to get me. Right. <laughs> like I'm and, not going to, not going to get out of here by a little flu. Yeah. So like when I'm scared, man, is, what what's going to happen next time? Because like, that was one of the things I was disappointed about Trump. And like, I, I love Trump too. I voted for him both times. And I, I disagree with a lot of the stuff that he did. And I don't think he was really a Republican, but I voted for him because he was a populist. Yeah. And somebody who like, he was the only candidate that was like, America's awesome. We should take pride in it. And we should think about our constituents before we think about the needs of the rest of the world. Like, yes. fuck yeah, I'm all for it. And, um, one thing that disappointed me about him was how I think he got kind of scared during the election cycle that he was like losing the economy. And that was his strongest arguing point. And it's like, I really wish that he would have fought harder and come down hard on these governors that like made it. So you couldn't, you, you had to have your business closed and you see like these bars and these yeah. restaurants in New York, Dude, for he, example, that were like, thousands of dollars. yeah, yeah. He went hard. I think on like uh, governor camp, when camp wanted to open up Georgia said it was like a dumb idea I don't know. I, I feel like he was just kind of um, buying too much into the people who are around him, you know, like Dr. Burks, Fauci and everybody. Yeah. And I think that he was being accused so aggressively by the left of being um, um, not hard enough on the, on the virus that he didn't want to appear like he, um, that, that, like that was true, you know? So he yeah. came down hard, like when he, when he didn't really need to, right. but. I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm still, I've always believed ever since I watched that Eric Weinstein um, uh, or not Eric, man, I always mix him up. Brett Weinstein, when he was on Joe Rogan last spring and he was talking about the virus, he's an evolutionary biologist. He was talking about the virus and how there were markers that indicated that it was probably, you know, there, there was, there was evidence that it was at least in part um, uh, manipulated in a lab. And it's like, ever since then, man, I believe that. And I, I can't, I don't understand why it's coming out. It's being accepted by the media now. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they might be using it to kind of get rid of Fauci almost and kind of transition him out of the scene. Because I feel like when I see Fauci, I associate him with everything bad, all the lockdowns, all the mass mandates. So I feel like now that they got their guy in office, um, that's why they're kind of opening up the country and they don't really have any use for Fauci anymore. But it is weird that it's come, it's kind of being accepted now a year after everybody on our side with common sense kind of saw that this was manipulated. 
Yeah. So like, what, what do you think the right move is then in terms of foreign relations with China? Like if they resulted in multi, multi-million, was it like four or 5 million people worldwide that died of COVID or with yeah, COVID dude. at least? Like, um, what, are we going to find them? I mean, shit, like if our president would have so. died, like, it would have been I, an act of war. <laughs> I think we, they need to pay, pay some sort of reparations or something, but yeah, that is, um, that is definitely an act of war. And we, we've, we've got to kind of, get rid of the i feel like the americans who were maybe in concert with china or just willingly helping them and promoting these narratives yeah well especially the who was totally bought bought and paid for in terms of how they reported what was going on with that virus spokesperson really yeah yeah totally so what do you think about um and i want to be conscientious of your time too but i just wanted to ask you like i struggle a lot when i think about china because like it seems to me obviously they they've got like camps with Muslims in them. Yeah. They're paying people. I think, I don't know how much like two to $4 a day on average or something like that. It's something astronomically low, or, or I can't remember what the rate is, but it's super low what the average income is in China. And it, like, what do you think from like an ethical or a legal standpoint about the United States, basically like outsourcing slavery? <laughs> Dude, I think it's, um, I think it's ridiculous. I feel like, um, I feel like it's sad that everything gets made in that country Yeah. because as a country, we should be self-sufficient. We should be producing all of these items ourselves. We should be exporting to countries like China, countries like uh, Canada, Mexico. You know, we need to be putting in this work, but just because it's easier and it's cheaper to do it, that's why we get away with it. But um, something's got to be done. I don't know. It's it just um, a fact, aside from the fact that like it's, bad to support their cheap labor it's just it's bad for our morale you know when we as an american people rely on everybody else to get stuff done you know if we can't do anything for ourselves we're never going to really be able to stand up and be truly independent so what would you say um what would you say is america's like greatest threat or number one problem now and how do you think we can get past it yeah hmm it's a good question let me see Take your time, bro. I'm here for the show. I think um, I think the greatest threat, probably the media, because the media has control pretty much of control of information and they're able to, I don't want to say brainwash, but maybe hypnotize millions of Americans into believing their narrative. And I think that power is just so dangerous. I feel like if, if less people were in love with the media and were not hypnotized by them they would be able to think critically and they would think for themselves and i just want our nation to be a nation of thinkers because when we think we think about what's going on right now we think about the way things could be and then that's how action happens we start to make action we start to innovate we start to change the world for the better i feel like we're not going to be able to really truly progress until people kind of start turning off the media, thinking for themselves and, you know, um, just doing it for themselves. That's an awesome answer. It's really good. Thanks, man. But I also don't, I think the media is a big threat too, because they're pitting American versus American. It should never be black versus white or male versus female or Jew versus non-Jew or Protestant or Christian. We're all Americans at the end of the day. And the fact that 
so many Americans buy into this division game that the media plays is just so dangerous. We're not, we're not going to be able to survive for long if half the country hates the country that they live and they also hate the other half of the country who loves this place. I feel like we need to, we need to find some common ground and we should be able to find common ground in our identity, our American identity. That's what should really be that's what should be like the starting point for people's identities if they live in this country. They shouldn't say, oh, I'm a I'm a black guy or I'm a I'm an intersectional uh, transgender non-binary person. I'm an American. We're all Americans. And that's something that we can all agree on. What do you think it means at the core to be American? I think to be American is to be free. To be American is the right to decide how you want to live free from intervention from your government I think um, I think America is I think really like the ideals in our um, in our Bill of Rights kind of summarize what Americans should be. You know, you should be able to speak freely. Um, you should be able to worship freely. Uh, you should have freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures and other government intervention in your life. You should. Um, you should value due process and a trial by jury, a jury of your peers, a jury of your peers who you respect in your community. I think um, I think that's the essence of America. All right, man. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time in, the, in your evening to uh, sit with me and talk with me a bit. I really appreciate it. It's been yeah, awesome no conversation. Doubt, thank you for reaching out, man. I had a lot of fun in this talk. Yeah, absolutely, man. And when you drop another single, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll uh, post it out. Yeah, dude, and I'll uh, I'll send you the link to my first ever rap song. <laughs> um, yeah, I want to hear that, and I'm gonna send you take down the CCP. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, brother, take care. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck.